Namaskaram, my friends. Much love to all, whether you are a returning or new listener. If you've been here before, you know the deal. If it is your first time with us, this is the Activists Anonymous podcast by the Bravo Foundation. We are here shining light on everything progressive in the world so we can all live a bit more consciously, if nothing else. Also, we love to share our projects from abroad, and today, that's exactly what we will be doing. This week, I wanted to bestow our experience in the Swahili coast of East Africa, particularly our time in Kenya. We were able to collaborate with an organization outside the capital of Nairobi in a slum called Kibera. Um, Kibera is the largest slum in Africa and the fourth largest in the world. The other top three actually all occupy the country of India, but it did not feel as if it were the fourth largest in the world when we were living there, though truly it felt like the epicenter of all suffering for humanity. Um, The spectacles and the experiences that we came upon were like nothing one could ever conjure up in their own mind. You can actually send some of it um, on our Instagram page if you don't already follow us there. We have a multitude of posts and stories all archived on the Kenya highlight um, there. There's also some from Uganda. Uh, the page is at Bravo Foundation if you'd like to see for yourself. And now we, we do aim to keep the majority of our content optimistic, but in order to capture the authentic spirit of some of the repressed peoples that we do work with, sometimes we must paint the unfiltered picture of their anguish. Um, amidst all of this, some of the happiest people we have come across um, during our projects throughout the world are ones without possession. Ordinarily, it's not by choice either. It's usually a certain demographic of people who can't afford much as is. However, without possession and being raised in a society where you don't have everything at your fingertips like we do, this is all they know. They are generally more faithful and family-oriented because these are things that they can attain without modern monetary value. Sometimes we allow money and belongings, and all these modern expectations subjugate our lives and are beguiled into thinking that these are the keys to happiness in this life. As years have gone on, We lose touch with the earth around us and become sedated in this life where we are living ostentatiously for societal objectives built on dogma spewed by none other than the oppressors who create these rules for only their benefit. Perhaps this is a a bit of a broad accusation, but I hope you see where I'm heading with it. Another discussion for another day, though. Um, Back to our time in Kenya. We were taking on a myriad of tasks, actually, teaching English, teaching geography. We got to head some physical education classes and implemented some of our beliefs like asana yoga and meditation. One day we were alongside a fourth uh, fourth degree black belt giving Taekwondo classes, Um, just introducing them to worlds so foreign to them. And it's so rewarding in itself, even if it doesn't fruit. For them in the long run most become enthralled in anything they can discover and i i credit this to their reverence of the chance alone to have education it's rare that you come across a child in a developed country that 
wouldn't rather stay home and play video games or do absolutely nothing productive with their day. And it relates back to what I was just saying about people being happy within the general population these days. We take a lot for granted and are not conscious about the reality that billions of people would look at our lives and it would be everything they could ever wish for and more. Uh, these kids we teach, wherever it may be, they comprehend that education is their ticket out. From a young age, they are constantly familiar of that. But even then, sometimes it's not enough because most schools within these developing countries require school fees. And if a family can't afford that, then their child or children can't attend school until otherwise. Thus perpetuating the cyclical poverty and oppression that we see on innumerable levels throughout the world. If you've been active on social media lately, you know exactly what this means. It's what this whole year has been based on, and hopefully there will be a new paradigm, speaking out on the systems that must be changed for the people, for the animals, and for the world. We must be the voices for those who do not have one. Again, bidding, again getting back to the story, we walked from where we were living to the schools we taught at every day. A 20-minute walk brought you through the central part of the slum. It was always busy with packs of people, buses and cars always in a traffic jam, men hanging out the side of buses yelling at pedestrians the following destinations they would be stopping at, people always coming up to us touching my dreadlocks and my tattoos, feeling our skin since we were the only white-skinned people there, perhaps even the only white-skinned people they had ever encountered before. Always asking what the tattoos were for those of them who were old enough and educated enough to speak English. Uh, in fact, a lot of them spoke English, as it's one of their national languages in Kenya, along with Swahili and some other tribal dialects. We almost felt like celebrities at times. It was either all that, or they would just see us and yell out, Mzungu, Mzungu. Uh, that's their word for white man. So by the time we got to the schools, it was such a mess. A, a beautiful mess for us to be able to be there and share our time and wisdom with these kids and teachers. But coming from the public school system in New York State, this was the most unorganized I had ever seen any type of scholastic setting ever. I have vague memories of preschool when I was about three or four years old, and yet I can still remember it being more coordinated. Uh, we would show up, and even though we were supposed to uh, teach a scheduled class, uh, if a teacher didn't feel like teaching their class, they would just throw us into their classroom without any plan, and they would go sit in the teacher's room and take a nap no lesson plan or even instruction as to what we were supposed to be teaching. So usually uh, we would just ask the kids what they wanted to learn that day and put it, and we would put it to a vote. Mostly as it was English uh, or about the world in general. Of course, we ended up playing games and learning songs, and they taught me as much about their culture as I did ours. Uh, it was absolutely divine. The parts that perturbed my soul, though, were matters like how many kids they had in the classroom at once and what they had to eat every day. There are pictures on our Instagram of a couple different related scenarios where you can kind of see what I'm referring to. There must have been 30 or more 
kids crammed in those rooms that are fractions of classrooms that you went to primary school in. Uh, they sat along these long wood benches at long wood tables, all worn out, mind you, uh, shoulder to shoulder, knees to back, from wall to wall, until they were almost on top of the chalkboards in the front of the rooms. We tried to get them up and moving as much as they possibly could, starting every class with stretching and or breathing techniques. One of the schools had a courtyard smaller than the classroom, so physical education there were uh, options were at a minimum. The times we were able to get them out there, we showed them how to meditate, which they immediately took to. Other than that, we would just try to kick around a mini football as much as we could get everyone involved. And for all my American friends, when I say a football, I do mean a soccer ball. Uh, the most unfortunate part about all of this was what they had to eat every day. First of all, they were drinking water from a five-gallon bucket brought in from somewhere else. So once they ran out, that was it for the day, unless someone wanted to walk uh, miles to get more. Oh, and by the way, they were all drinking from the same cup. Um, it just sat there floating in the water for someone to grab with their bare, dirty hands when they needed it. And the food predicament was no better. Uh, have you guys ever heard of Ugali? Okay, because neither had I before I traveled to this region. It's simply a porridge made from, like, maize flour. It's a staple there because it's economical, easy, and abundant. It's a carbohydrate that procures enough energy to get them through the day on small portions. The texture is similar to sticky rice, uh, you know, the rice that they make sushi with. Just twice as tough like a putty and barely breaks apart unless bitten or ripped with a bit of force. Uh, so as yummy as that sounds, that was what they ate every single day. And if they were lucky, they would have a side of kale. All also served out of five-gallon buckets into bowls or plates or containers brought from home by each child. Now, if they didn't or couldn't bring one, they would just have to eat from a friend's or not eat that day. Now, imagine seeing this in your school growing up, whether it's primary, secondary, university. Just let that all sink in. Um, it probably wouldn't be too appetizing or sanitary for that matter, or even humane. Um, anyways, the best part and yet most tiring task of my day, as I mentioned, we try to keep our content as positive as possible. Um, coaching the football teams after school let out. And yes, I still mean soccer. We would have to walk about another mile to the field and on our way, we passed old train tracks that ran through the slum, but don't operate anymore because all the garbage from the capital city was being dumped there and left for the people of the slums to deal with. Uh, yeah, you heard me right on that one. So once you pass the garbage tracks, everything kind of looks the same. Everyone's home and makeshift businesses were little shacks constructed from corrugated metal sheets dirt floors, little to no running water. Um, you try not to stop and stare or even break down inside from feeling sorry for these people. 
but we had to continue on with smiles on our faces for the kids. They directly fed off our energy as they always do, and if anything, we could at least distract them from their nightmare of a life and bring them hope during our days there. It's, it's really demoralizing to see such innocent people, especially children, living with absolutely nothing while we all have too much. Um, furthermore, when we finally got to the field, it was all dirt. I mean, I don't think I saw a blade of grass in the entire area of Kibera. When we were there three days a week after school practicing, and I don't think I've ever been more physically exhausted in my life. Now, these kids are used to surviving on minimal water and food. Me, on the other hand, at the time, not so much. It was, though, pure rapture in their faces and eyes of them being able to learn the game properly and bond with their brothers. And that's, that's personally what kept me going because I remember feeling the verge of passing out every practice um, since I would run and drill and scrimmage with them. Um, now, we were actually practicing on a field that belonged to another school, and this school had a little bit more resources because their school for fees were higher. As it turns out, surprise, surprise, there are societal hierarchy systems in slums as well and could in turn provide their students with a better education and better facilities. So my kids kind of saw them as their rivals because... Um, they practiced after us, and they were always kicking us off the field early, and we we couldn't really do much to say otherwise, since it was their facility. So we, we could stay and practice a little bit off to the side, and we would, and as we were finishing up, we were watching them practice a bit, and this team was organized and had practice jerseys and cleats, where some of my team wore their school clothes that they came in that day and even their school shoes so I I, th I think seeing the fire in their eyes about this other team uh, motivated me to make sure I train these kids thoroughly enough to give them the vet best chance to win their matches and and from that point I remember our practices actually being so intense and productive after this moment because we were all so focused and had a mutual understanding of what had to be done um, they had a tournament coming up in three weeks, and their improvement over that period was so apparent. It, it was the best feeling um, seeing them and knowing that they were getting not um, getting better not only individually, but more importantly as a group on the field. So the, the tournament comes along, and of course their rival team is in it. It was double elimination, and we actually lost the first match to the team who ended up winning the tournament but proceeded to win the next three matches and meeting my team's rival in the semifinal match. Well, not to be anticlimactic or anything, but we lost. But it was only 2-1, to one, and they used to lose abysmally to this team before this. So even after the match, uh, despite having lost, these kids were in high spirits because they knew how far they had come. And my, my friends, it's, it's little wins like these during our projects abroad, helping people in any way we can, um, just conveying hope in any structure, even through sports like this. So this was the bulk of our experience in Kibera. Um, being there 
most days at the schools and the football pitch. We were able to help revamp the interior of a local church and aid in some music lessons as well. Um, I think an unexpected event that will always resonate with me personally, though, was the amount of times I came home. Um, I came across people on my way home randomly in the street carrying their water supplies back to their homes or places of labor. And I was actually able to help them each time um, carrying the jugs or pushing the cart. And yeah, it was just like you see on TV when they carry it on their heads. So eventually they taught me how to do that over time. And it's actually helpful because you're, you're not straining your back or arms to carry something. It allocates the weight evenly and you can stabilize it with your hands if necessary. Um, we were also able to spend some time outside of Kibera, um, and even further outside of civilization as we ventured to a Maasai village and some national parks. But those are tall tales within themselves, so I will entice you to tune back in by saying they are some that I will tell in episodes to come. Anyways, it was beautiful to share this with you today, my friends. I'm hoping this week's stories opens our eyes a little more to how precious our lives truly are, causing us to live better for our people, for our animals, and for our world. Until next week, much love and light. Namaskaram. Mm-hmm.